presented by the Common Sense Institute. Welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to Common Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright and I'm chairman of the board of CSI. Thank you for joining us. In the United States today, we have a housing affordability crisis. Denver, one of the major cities of the Rocky Mountain area, is the most expensive of major cities for housing and rentals. Many of us would wonder about that because the current situation going on down at the State House is focusing on this specific issue. According to CSI housing fellow Peter Lafari's latest housing report, as of 1221, 80% of Coloradoans live in a county with an aggregate housing supply shortage. As a result, home affordability has decreased by 85% since 2015. Now, as of 2022, Colorado is the eighth most affordable state for renters in the United States. Governor Polis and leaders in the legislature on both sides of the aisle have named housing as a top-tier priority issue for this year and long-awaited legislation addressing state land use was just introduced last week. That's why I'm excited to welcome my guest today to talk about some of the state's newest policies already being implemented and these new ideas brewing at the Capitol are going to be discussed in more detail. I'm joined by CSI's housing fellow, Peter Lafari, CSI's Vice President of Policy and Research, Chris Brown, and Adam Berg, Vice President of Government Affairs for the Denver Metro Chamber of Commerce. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Peter, Chris, welcome back. Thank you, Earl. It's great to be here. Thank you for the three of you joining us. Adam, I'm going to start with you and the new state land use legislation. I've read criticism, and I've seen praise. I've heard about potential lawsuits from those claiming this policy would infringe upon local control. I also saw the Denver Metro Chamber at the governor's press conference, and I know that housing has been a top priority for the chamber this year. What's in the bill, and what do you like, and what do you have as concerns? Yeah, thank you for the question, Earl. I think in a 106-page bill, it might be easier to say what's not in the bill uh, as opposed to what's in it. It is a significant and comprehensive change to the way we do land use in the state of Colorado. Really, I think the end goal here is is to provide some uh, private rights around land use in, in relation to multifamily uh, and ADUs in places around the state where that need is so high. And, and what are ADUs? Uh, accessory dwelling units. So think of maybe a, a additional unit you may have that you might rent out to someone, um, say, above a garage uh, or something like that. And then also in the larger context of the bill, we're talking about pushing on local governments to either create their own framework uh, through a toolkit that the state's going to devise around affordability, or if not, to fall back on a new statewide standard. And as you've noted, I think we've seen this crisis has become so big that we at the Chamber feel it's vital, and, and we are generally supportive of this bill. There are some things we can get into that are either not in the bill or of concern that are around the bill. But generally, I think this is a much-needed piece of legislation and certainly a topic that a lot of us have been waiting to have a larger conversation on. Okay. You you were obviously engaged in the bill in detail. And so for those of us that don't know what a toolkit is, when you talk about the, the, the local uh, counties or various areas outside of Denver, what are you referring to? So a lot of this is actually going to be 
coming through a rulemaking process, a very extensive, likely multi-year process to sort of provide better direction to cities. Uh, It could be things like inclusionary zoning policies, so where you require a certain amount of affordable units to be built around uh, any kind of new development. It could be uh, other kinds of zoning tools that might be utilized to create affordability districts or some zoning incentives uh, to drive up affordability. So the main answer is we don't quite know yet. Uh, what those tools are going to be. I think that's an important place for the business community and local governments to come together to figure out what can we do to uh, help local governments in that conversation about things that may actually work for their community. I hear the the word help, sure, and that kind of raises my attention a little bit. I didn't hear that in requiring affordable housing in developments. That doesn't sound like help. That sure. sounds like it's going to be a dictum that's going to be given to the various communities out of the state. And I also heard that uh, you're going to have laws with regards to require certain districts. That doesn't sound like help. That sounds like, again, something specific that is going to be required. Or am I missing something? I think more the approach we need to take to this is a, a partnership. I think we can get into the conversation of what is a statewide issue and what isn't. When does the government need to intervene? And I think what we've seen is across jurisdictions, whether it's Metro Denver or our uh, rural communities or our mountain resort communities, there is an affordability crisis. No, we understand that. That's, sure. that's, that's not my question. I mean, let, let's just be candid if we can. It seems to me when you say help or there's an affordability issue – that the state is saying maybe that the local districts or local areas aren't equipped or they aren't going to handle it, so we're going to take action at the, at the state legislature, or am I missing something? I, I don't think that's necessarily entirely wrong. I think we have the expertise at the local level, but they need more more tools from the state in some ways, more funding, which is one of the directives. I think to push back a little bit on this conversation, all we've heard from the locals is about local control. Uh, now, when I hear the word control, that doesn't sound particularly collaborative to me either. No, so I, I think I we think agree. there needs to be a an approach here where Uh, These tools, the toolkit we touched on earlier is developed in partnership with local governments uh, because different communities need different flexibility. But if you talk to a developer, um, wherever you go in the state to develop right now, there is a different set of rules they must abide by. And the problem here is that's creating a communities that ask for affordability and are trying to work on the issue and, and frankly, communities that aren't. Um, as we've seen in communities like Westminster recently, where they're very clear about how they feel on things like affordable development. And I think affordability has to be spread throughout our communities to ensure that there is some equity to this issue. And I truly believe uh, that's something that the state needs to help with. Okay. Peter, you, uh, you wrote, uh, you're a part of a report that CSI did before, and you talked about the issue with regards to uh, the counties just weren't equipped oftentimes or they needed incentives to create uh, more affordable housing. And I think, was it referendum 123 that uh, we talked about? In essence, you were strongly advocating at that time that there were ways in which we could make that work. 
And it's just a follow-up to that, and I understand that uh, you've authored a paper, Housing as a Matter of Statewide Concern. Is that a follow-up on uh, Referendum 123 and how we can make that work? You know, I think missing from the broader conversation is the lack of modernization that is plaguing the housing development industry. My co-fellow Evelyn Lim and I sat with you in this very room a couple uh, years ago to discuss that. That is driven by the ecosystem that Adam mentioned, where there's differing rules, um, quite significant differing of rules, building codes, zoning, entitlement, available staff to be able to review projects. And so because of that bespoke, disaggregated value chain, all of the housing products that we're bringing to market are at max cost. We have no economies of scale. We have very little uh, competition uh, due to extreme barriers to entry for, uh, for, for builders to be able to provide their services at scale. And so the industry is in extreme stagnation averaging less than 1% uh, labor hour productivity gains per year compared to 2.8% productivity gains per year for all other sectors of the global economy combined. And so I'd like to kind of plant a so flag So standardization there. of regulation is going to help Correct. productivity gains Correct. as well as give the developers a chance statewide Correct. to know how to create affordable housing within standards that we can say apply to Aspen, apply to... Lyman apply to various parts of the state. Correct. And even with regionality, which we talk about, I talk about in my report, about having the differentiations based off population, demographics, unique infrastructure needs. And so it's not like there is going to be the same set of requirements in our rural resort communities that will be here in the front range. And so there will be evidence-based, they'll be uh, standardized, they'll be predictable, and they'll allow our businesses to enter into the market and have a clear and consistent regulatory framework for which they can compete. And I'll share that this bill is not just about quote-unquote, affordable housing. It's about all elements within the housing continuum. And so one of the main reasons that we have this acute affordability crisis is because we've stopped building single, uh, we stopped building starter homes, 1,200 square foot or less. One of the questions you asked is a little bit of a foreshadow I'll share is this bill does not address construction defects, um, which will preclude a number of the bill's uh, transcendent points to be able to flourish. We'll have to address that in future sessions. Uh, but ultimately, the bill is really a housing omnibus that is, I've called it an opus, right? As Adam mentioned, uh, there's a lot in this bill. It really is taking a number of the elements that we've seen from other states, both, uh, both conservative-led uh, as well as uh, democratically-led. And so what we'll see is that there's a lot of evidence-based elements in this bill that we can deploy if local governments will embrace it. Okay, I just, I, I really want to put you guys on the spot. In uh, 1994 to 2007, we had uh, housing completions as a percent of population was 0.55%. In 2008 to 2021, it was 0.3%, about mm-hmm. half. Yeah. In, ni- in 1976, of the houses that were being built, 40% who were 1,400 square feet. Today, it's 5%. Answer for all of us on the podcast. Do you really think the legislation that you're going to put forward are going to start solving the issue of smaller square feet that they can be profitably built and then we can start producing something that the bottom two quintiles, 
can buy and start building their net worth. I mean, I'm just passionate about that because that's where you start building your net worth. Is that what the two of you are saying, Adam? Is that what you're saying, Peter? In a word, yes. Perfect. Then how's that legislation going to work, Chris? Tell me how this legislation starts meeting those housing needs. There, there are a lot of dimensions to this, as you as you put it. And I, I want to start with maybe a framework, going back to some of your conversation with Adam. The way that you know we've looked at this issue and analyzed this issue, and I think want to continue to investigate from an economic perspective, is the premise of, does this bill say you, you must... Or does it say you must allow? Because I think that's the framing, as I see it, rather than a, a statewide so it's not a mandate. Okay, this is a statewide intervention that is breaking local restrictions and enabling the market. And I want to again maybe go further back. Peter mentioned the work that. He, he and his co-fellow, Evelyn Lim, did in 2000. And I printed out, I don't, you didn't know I was doing this, Peter, but I printed out some of your words from 2000, from, from your report, that I would encourage people to take a look at and to use a bad housing pun, I think laid the foundation in many ways for this conversation uh, around statewide you know, policy. But you, you said... You know, home building is ready for a revolution. In order to take advantage of advances in building, we must allow innovation in home building to see a statewide code as the first step forward into true productivity gains within the the Colorado housing industry. And you go on to cite some very compelling statistics about how productivity has lagged. And there's evidence now mounting across the country as people have focused on zoning have focused on the rules of the game as it is for building that have demonstrated that when you see these sorts of reforms, zoning to loosen the restrictions and making housing legal to build, you do see increased growth. There's you know comprehensive meta studies that's shown uh, upwards of an, an increase of 1% in new housing. That sounds low as a percentage, but when you consider you know, vacancy rates are in the range of, you know, three to four percent. Adding another percent of new stock can do a lot to alleviate the market pressures that exist, making it easier to build, to build uh, and, and improve density has other advantages that we've talked about in our other work around water, limiting water demand, which is a key resource here in the West, uh, improving energy efficiency. So there's a lot of benefits associated with this on top of improving affordability. So what you're saying, Chris, and I, you know, being a bit of an economics, you're a bit of an economics nerd. What you're saying, there's a multiplier effect related to this. That's not just the fact that we're providing something. It has some other uh, positive impact. Adam, before we move on to other housing legislation, you mentioned something that I'm always a a little bit more interested in, uh, and that is a rulemaking authority I always like to know what the rules might be before I start to do something. So is this something where the rules are going to be set up in advance over the next 18 months, or is this kind of like something that is a continually progressing type rules authority that uh, you may find new rules coming down the road 24 months from now that weren't a part of what you were originally thinking you were subject to. Help me out. I think you raise a great point. It's, it's one of the things we've provided some feedback to the governor on with this proposal is we have seen uh, the last five plus years a legislature that 
loves to give authority to these bodies outside of themselves. They like to punt things to a rulemaking process. We have seen that work on occasion, but more frequently than not, we've seen it not work. And we get caught into a multi-year rulemaking processes, and then down the road, uh, we move the marker and we change the rules on the development community or whoever the people are that fall under the, the jurisdiction of what's being decided. So we are encouraging the governor and legislators, put some teeth into the bill itself. The more surety we can have in what comes out of the bill, and the less it's up to a, a more complicated rulemaking decision, the better that is for the community as a whole. But I think that's a great point, Earl, that we need to be cautious anytime we hear this is going to a rulemaking And process. the chamber is working on that as part of the legislative process and giving advice to the legislators and the governor? That's correct, yeah. Through this and, and other efforts as well, we continue to push on the governor to let, and legislators, use your authority. Uh, you are a branch of government. You do not have to cede your authority to the governor to uh, let other people and bureaucrats dictate the rules of the game. So write the laws now so we know what they are so we can go forward with more certainty. That's correct, yeah. Okay, do your homework and do your work now. Good. Okay, Chris, uh, there's lots of other housing legislation that's going on at the present time, and you've written some reports. The recent state land use legislation isn't the only bill pending at the Capitol in regards to housing. Last time I counted, there's over 20 bills. That's a lot. Being drafted in housing, I guess that points out to the priority. I understand rent control legislation was reintroduced this legislative session when the governor has expressed concerns. What does your CSI study uh, suggest with regards to rent control? Costs, benefits, I know you took a hard look at it and you pulled in a lot of various parts of the country where they've experienced it. Share it with us, will you please? Earl, thanks for the question. You should come back to the conversation we, we had at the start on affordability and supply. When it comes to the work that we do and looking at the long-term sustainability and, and improvements in the market, for us, it comes down to improving and increasing supply. This measure, rent, rent control, has been proven where it's been adopted to have really the opposite effect. It has a chilling effect on the ability to develop new units, whether those are apartments and, and even some lingering effects on the broader markets in different communities on single-family homes. We estimated that if passed with a 3% cap, inflation plus 3% rent cap, that this would reduce new units in Denver by more than 17,000 over the next several years. And so while we're having this conversation... What's the housing shortage that we have over that same period of time? We need to be adding more than 50,000 units so over the next decade. So we need to be adding 50, and this would decrease our, by 17,000 to 18,000? Right. To some degree, this takes a, a, a third off of what we need. My goodness. Could be more than a third of what we need against those projections again. So... While we're having this conversation about zoning and improving supply, this is a separate conversation that I think requires a lot of attention and focus uh, because it can undermine, I think, some of those goals in the broader housing conversation. The report, I would really encourage everybody to go read your report because it not only talks about that, but also talks about the impact on value of apartments and the impact on the housing market. And interestingly enough, the negative impact with regards to property tax collections, which in essence, as you are fond of pointing out to us, would end up impacting how much money we have for education and our own education and supporting the uh, 
the city government. Let's move on. Well, Gavin, do you have any thoughts uh, to add to the chamber's perspective on rent control and how you all see it? Thanks, Earl. I think Chris really touched on our perspective as well. When when we work with our partners at CSI and review their data, from what we've heard from other communities, rent control doesn't seem to work. It seems to have a chilling effect and a reverse effect in some cases that I think those policies are intended to. Uh, I think one of the big things that we need to focus on is getting people out of a rent cycle, creating opportunities to enter home ownership, which is what some of these other policies, like the governor's bill, are aimed to do. I'm a renter myself. I pay a significant amount in rent, and I would venture to guess it's probably more than what I would pay in a mortgage. It's the upfront cost, the ability to enter the market that prohibits me from being able to reduce that. Um, And when I get ownership, I get long-term economic benefits. So I think really focusing on ensuring there's there's rental stock and people have the opportunity to rent, but also driving them more towards that entry-level housing. While you're talking about legislation, I understand we have another piece, HB 231190, entitled Affordable Housing Right of First Refusal. Pretty fancy title, but what does it really mean? What's that up to? And where does the chamber stand on that? Sure. We've taken a look at this bill, and it raises some serious concern for us. I think having governments intervene in market processes, uh, being able to provide and buy at lower cost than what the market would otherwise allow, um, and then, again, creating an extended period for intervention within the market, which is also concerning if you're a seller. Um, I also want to note here, local governments are not good landlords. Governments were designed to be landlords like this. So um, the question then becomes, do these go out to housing authorities? How does this become a market for those interactions? Um, and so upon initial review, this raises some, some serious concern on, on the private right of sale and impact to uh, just housing stock in general. Peter, uh, he talked about the government not wanting to be a landowner or owner of properties, uh, housing units, et cetera. That's your world. I mean, you're out there day-to-day building something, trying to meet the demand. Uh, there's other things that have to do with this bill that maybe help, hinder, like pet fees, uh, eviction notices. Um, there are other things that uh, might be down there as far as legislation. Uh, what else is going on, and how do you uh, feel about them, that we should be supporting them, or we should be uh, talking to our legislators? Give us an insight. When it comes to the acute crisis and the trauma that it is facilitating upon all Coloradans, right, wherever you are in the continuum, that's really what we see happening at the state house now. And what happening? What's happening is is the, the the general assembly is really trying to address the elements that are probably the closest in hand. Right. The thing about rent control is it's a false idol. I've been on record saying that, but it's something that within just a matter of months, if a local government passes it, that you know Colorado citizens feel that they could uh, be relieved. And the relief is not coming, as as our research has shared. Uh, but as an example, Denver has been you know kind of dithering around with piloting. ADUs uh, for uh, since 2010, and yet you can only be permissed to develop ADUs in the city and county of Denver in 27% of its land mass, right? So this is the dilemma. Coloradans are being told, we're working on your behalf, uh, but the timelines are so stretched and the relief so, so long in coming that there is a breakdown in trust and belief. And so legislators are moving towards these solutions on the demand side.
side uh, that are well-intended but rarely uh, well-implemented uh, on the behalf of their constituents. And so... You know I, what? We're out of time, guys. Oh. <laughs> and uh, we, if you have any closing remarks on what's going on, Adam, how about you? First of all, I really appreciate this conversation. I think this is vital and helpful for people to understand these issues. The biggest takeaway is none of these bills we've talked about today operate in a vacuum. And there is no cure-all fix to the housing crisis. We know it's going to take multiple policies aiming at renters and ownership and affordability. Um, And I I just appreciate this conversation, and and hopefully we can keep it going. Adam, thanks for all the chamber and what you all are doing. We really appreciate you taking a lead. Peter, any closing comments? It's the codes, the codes, the codes, Earl. Um, We build the type of housing that we legally permit to build. If we want to create a Colorado where uh, uh, Coloradans have an opportunity to purchase a starter home uh, at a level and price point that is attainable to them, we have to address the codes. It is our salvation. It is our path forward, and it benefits the entire continuum. These demand side, you know, kind of myopic yet important if you're being impacted by them on their own, as Adam shared, will not get us to where we need to go. We need to build more homes. We need to consistently build more homes. And we need to ask ourselves why we are so anemic to inviting new neighbors into our community. When we build these duplexes, triplexes, sixplexes, they're going to be beautiful. They're going to welcome in neighbors that we are going to enjoy. And they're going to provide price points that the Coloradans can afford. Thank you. Okay, you're pretty pretty consistent in your report that you did for CSI and your closing remarks. Chris? I'll, I'll just echo your remarks and thanks, thank Adam and JJ and the Chamber for your thought leadership. I always appreciate how you guys weigh into issues, dig into these tough topics, and want to facilitate a very thoughtful conversation around all policy, but housing in particular. I know this has been a priority, so thank you and thank you for joining. You said codes the codes the codes i was going to quote the governor as we go out in the state of the state as he was talking about housing he said it's supply and demand when we think about housing we think about markets this is an issue this is a market that is governed by those laws of supply and demand pretty overwhelmingly and we have to look it through the lens of do the reforms we're putting forward improve supply improve the ability for people to have the control over where they want to live, in the type of product they want to live in, in the areas of the state they want to live, or are these laws restricting it? And so I think that's the general framing, and I I commend all of you for having the conversation. Thank you so much for your time. It's three perspectives that uh, we really appreciate, and I can only add one thing, trying to let free enterprise work its way, too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on podcatchers everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.